0: Brought to you by Jesus Centered Resources, which if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that Jesus Centered Resources is a thing, but it's not really a thing. It's a thing I've imagined. It's a thing I'm working on. It's a thing I'm trying to build, but it doesn't really exist yet. Um, I'm in the midst of building two websites, and let's see, how many websites have I built before those two? Oh, that would be zero. Zero websites before this. So I'm building a couple of websites. One for uh, Jesus-centered resources and one for my new devotional book that's coming out in a, a, a couple of months, a little less than a couple of months now, called the jesus Center Daily. Um, I'm creating a website just for that, for that uh, daily devotional. And uh, I got my first copy of this, my advanced copy of this little devotional in the mail a couple days ago. And um, I almost started crying. You know, it was two, two years of my life poured into that little thing. And um, now it's a real thing. So unfortunately, my family is used to uh, living with an author. And I'm like, look, my new devotional came. And there was about two and a half minutes of interest. And then they moved on. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, 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 as we head toward uh, the release date for that, um, I'm going to be tell- telling you some new ways to interact with it and ways to get a hold- your hands on one of these early. So uh, I'll tell you more about that uh, soon. Um, But if you're a first-time listener, um, my name again is Rick Lawrence. Uh, I'm an author. Last year, I released a book called The God Who Fights for You. Before that, it was a book called Spiritual Grit. Before that, it was a book called The Jesus-Centered Life, on which this podcast is sort of built. And I'm general editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, uh, a Bible that's unlike any other that's out there um, with special features that draw you to Jesus no matter where you're reading so there's a little bit of my uh, authoring background. And, but today, today, we have my friend Jeff White on the podcast. He has an incredible new story Bible for adults called Eyewitness that I've been telling you about for a few weeks now. This, uh, this is just about to come out this week. So we're on the precipice of this book actually being available. So this is an exciting time. I hope Jeff doesn't cry on the podcast because he's an author. So I've
1: got my tissues.
0: There you go. <laughs> so, and by the way, you can check out the website that was built especially for this book, Eyewitness. It's called experienceeyewitness.com. Experienceeyewitness.com. There'll be a link to this on our podcast episode page if you want to check that out. The podcast episode page is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus.com. Just go there and you'll find a link to this page, or you can scribble it down right now, experienceeyewitness.com go take a look at this. You'll see Jeff and all his glory in a little video intro to it. Um, and you, you'll you get an idea of what this thing is all about. And it's really quite stunning. I don't think there's anything else like it or ha- has ever been like it before. And if you're, a, if you're a member of the pre-launch team that I had mentioned the last couple of episodes, you could join. If you were a member of that pre-launch team, you already probably already have your copy and you're already going, wow. Um, so today um, I brought Jeff on to talk about a particular aspect um, that went into the making of this book, the writing of this book, that ties into um, something that's core to who Jesus is. But before we get to that, Jeff, I'd love for you to just uh, uh, introduce yourself, say a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Thanks,
1: Rick. My name is Jeff White, and I have been uh, a writer and a creator of uh, lots of different things in the Christian publishing industry for the last 20 years. And uh, the last few years, I focused a lot on um, kids' Bible resources. Uh, a couple of years ago, we, I wrote a book called the Friends with God Story Bible, which was for kids. And it had a unique twist to it in that uh, the stories were all told from a first-person perspective. So you know, all the characters told their own stories. And the uh, that book series has been very successful. There's a whole line of products that go with it, a uh, uh, devotional and uh, activity book. And uh, I am friends with God journal, creative journal, which uh, was a finalist for the Christian book awards last year. I'm happy to say, but the um, that book was, was interesting because uh, when I showed it to adults, so many of them asked me or said made a comment about man i wish there was something like this for grown-ups so that sparked the idea for this book eyewitness that we're talking about today and um, that's what i've been focusing on the last couple of years is writing the stories for this book it's a um, story bible for grown-ups basically and it's uh there's a lot to it and i'm sure we'll be talking about the details in the minutes ahead but
0: those are the basics and now you're a first-time small business owner which sounds yes. like the ultimate roller coaster ride well yeah so um
1: a lot of changes this year for me but the uh my wife and i have started well we are starting and um uh developing a couple of new businesses which are studios creative studios for artists and uh, one's a paint, painting studio and the other is a arts and crafts studio where people come and and make projects and uh, the small business part of it is kind of exhausting and, and uh, there's a lot to learn there, but it's fun because it's that creative part of my life that I get to continue. You know, For the last 20 years in the Christian publishing industry, I did all kinds of creative work and now I'm just doing it in a different uh, venue and it's still a lot of fun and I still get to feel like I get to use my skills and talents for a good
0: purpose. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that uh, you uh, carved out some time to be on the podcast today. We're nine episodes in to a series that I've been calling In His Image, and essentially, uh, if this is if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and, and weren't a part of this series already, we're simply exploring uh, what uh, what, in the book of Genesis, we learn that God created all of us in His image. And this is one of those statements that we kind of jump over because we've heard it so often, but we don't slow down to really consider what does that mean that we're created in the image of God? Obviously, it's not like uh, a sketch of what he looks like. (laughs) It's, it's really we're created in his essence is another way of saying that. And uh, that's a powerful statement that we're created with the essence of God in us. And what we're doing is exploring what that essence is through the portal of Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he, he's, that's a strategic statement. He's saying, if you want to know God's heart, then get to know my heart. And so we're going to slow down. We're slowing down, paying attention to Jesus, trying to understand what his essence is all about, and then finding connection points to us. If we're reflective of that, how do we see that showing up in us? And how do we nurture and grow that aspect of his essence and who we are? So today with Jeff, we're going to explore something that is a a core feature of who Jesus is and what his heart's all about, and that is authenticity. (laughs) Authenticity. So Jeff, I think uh, to start off, it'd be interesting to explore with you what your goal was when you set out on this project and then how you would define authenticity. I know because I was around you when you were uh, trying to get this project approved, first of all, and then actually producing it. You were trying to take attack with this that made that took uh, kind of a, a a format the story Bible format and blew it out of its uh, boundaries that that um, really have existed to make sure that, that that kind of format stays with children. You were trying to blow out those boundaries to 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 use that format with adults. So obviously you had to think, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> to make this an adult story Bible. So what was your goal when you set out with this and how would you define authenticity in the way that you were working this idea? Yeah,
1: and authenticity is such a good word to describe this because, uh, and for, for a couple of reasons. One is we want um, the characters and the stories to come across as real um, because they were. And we, when we read the Bible itself, Um, So many of the stories are really just um, kind of reports, like news reports of what happened. Uh, They're they're often devoid of emotion. One of the best examples of that is the story of Isaac and Abraham, where Abraham takes him up on the mountain to sacrifice him. And the story in the Bible is like 14 verses long, and there's no emotion to it. And yet it's one of the most gut-wrenching stories in the Bible. And so when you think about that story being real or authentic, it it begs for emotion. It begs for you to feel the pain that this father was going through. You know, it wasn't an easy thing for Abraham to do, um, but it show, it describes his faith, but we kind of missed that whole real emotional part of the story. And so that's um, one of the reasons we wrote all these stories in the first person, because we don't want people just to have like a uh, a news report account of what happened uh, we want people to to view these people and these stories as something that actually happened, and that makes them more relatable to us. If I feel like I'm reading this story from a real person, um, that authenticity make, speaks to my heart, and it makes me feel like that's something that could, at least, the principles that I can have it in my own life.
0: So, when when you're trying to translate these stories and bring out their raw authenticity, what what were you doing to try to do that?
1: Well, uh, one of the things too that I think goes along with authenticity is um, being honest about how these stories are portrayed. Um, For kids especially, but even for grownups, and I've grown up in the church, so I've heard the stories hundreds, if not thousands of times. Um, These stories get sanitized by the time they reach our ears, uh, whether they're coming from a, a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, or even when we read about them in books or hear them in songs. We get the sanitized versions of them, and, and um, it's, it doesn't feel honest because some of these stories are really kind of awful <laughs> when you think about what happened to some of these people and the violence and the sexual uh, issues and the, um, uh, just the complications of so much of what happened in the Bible are really gut-wrenching things, and we try to gloss over them and make them sound all happy and, and almost sitcom you know, where you where you where they everything has to have a happy ending. Oh, they went through some tough times, but oh, look, everything went happy. And I, one of my best examples for that part of it is the story of Esther, where she's been, um, her story has been sanitized and glorified so much that she's just portrayed as this beautiful queen with a perfect life. And she was so brave uh, to stand up for her people and, and all that. But when you read the actual account, she's really nothing more than a glorified sex slave. And the issues that come with that and the torment that she must have felt um, for completely different reasons than what we've been listening to over the years. I think that really makes the Bible come alive when we can be honest about what the stories are actually saying. And they take on new meaning for us personally when I feel like, okay, now I'm getting an honest account of what's actually happening rather than um, glossing over it or sanitizing it.
0: Yeah, you used the word uh, "complicated," which I I thought was a great uh, a great reference because authenticity a- almost automatically means complicated. Uh, it yeah. it doesn't shave off the edges of things. It it goes into difficulty instead of around or over or yeah under.
1: yeah. Well, and because we have a tendency, and I, and I I'm not saying this um, to accuse anybody because I because I'm as guilty of it as much as anybody, but. We try to make, we try to simplify things and make them easy. So, you know, Moses was just a great hero of faith. And so we have this image of who Moses was, and he's just this big, strong man who stood for God. But, you know, Moses's real story, when you go back and read, read scripture, uh, he fought God almost every step of the way and doubted. And he didn't even know who God was when the, when he encountered the burning bush. And so here you have this man who's really broken. He's afraid. He really doesn't want to follow God. He just resists God at every turn. Um, and yet the story that we hear is just that he's this really strong man of faith. Now, which of those two people am I going to uh, relate to the most? This flawed person who doesn't want to do what God told him to do or some uh, unattainable hero status that you know none of us could ever live up to? And that's, I'd rather kind of hear the story of that first Moses.
0: Yeah, and that's really the sort of the children's story bible version of these stories is you, you you that's the sort of kind of uh smoothed out story you'd get in a in a children's story bible very often or it, thinking about david what a complicated person he was and oh yeah the, the way that we typically think about him does not also include the ugly 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 parts of who he was and 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 how much he struggled to find his way back to intimate relationship with god after he Displayed all that ugliness that that it's typical uh, that that we we sort of like life shaved off with the edges all the time in more ways than one. But you mentioned something too there that I think is really important that that authenticity is re- is directly related to our ability to experience intimacy in relationships. So, often hmm. if you're not an authentic person, you're not ever going to experience real intimacy, and. Um, That's, that's what makes it even more important as a quality, but it kind of goes past qual a quality to a core characteristic because this whole redemption plan that we are a part of was launched so that intimate relationship could be established again. And that means authenticity has to be a part of that in our lives. So I was uh, poking around a little bit and found that, um, more than 45% of Americans before the pandemic reported feeling lonely. That's like half of our population reported feeling regularly lonely. Well, obviously that number has gone skyrocketed uh, since the pandemic. I just saw uh, 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 some kind of report a couple days ago when I was listening to the radio that 70%, seven zero of teenagers today um, are experiencing, are saying they're experiencing uh, Uh, symptoms of depression. And about a quarter of all teenagers right now have had suicidal thoughts. So talk about intense loneliness. It's really been accentuated in our culture. People are just desperate to connect. um, And they've not been able to in the midst of all these restrictions. And also so many of them have just in regular life, so so few models of uh, actual authentic relationships. There's so much faking it that surrounds us, so much performing and posturing. I saw this uh, quote from a marriage and family therapist named Sarah Stanizai. Here's what she said. I really liked how she described authenticity. So this is Sarah Stanizai, family therapist. Here's what she said. Authenticity means you show your good side and your bad side in a relationship instead of a curated version of yourself. Many people fall back on old emotional patterns that they learn to keep others happy but people don't want the performative version of you, meaning the performance-based version of you. To be truly authentic, we should share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is an opportunity for greater connection. When you're authentic, you show you have love for yourself and that you believe that who you are is enough. Now, You mentioned before, Jeff, that, that uh, you, you were comparing the two versions of Moses and you said, which one would you rather get to know? Why do you think that's true, that the flawed version is is the version that we're drawn to or the uh, the version of Moses that we could actually find uh, some kind of kindred spirit with or relationship? Why is that true?
1: Well, flawed in the sense of imperfect, I would say, um, it, it's just, it feels more real. It's, it's something that's real. You know, I can read, you know, The Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter and I know that these characters are all fake. Uh, They've been made up. They're fiction. And I don't want that same feeling when I read the Bible. And um, it's important to me, both whether it's on a spiritual level uh, with God or with the people around me in my life, I want the real stuff. Uh, To me, that's where real progress is made. I'm not going to be able to, like, you know, with my wife, for example, I'm not, we're not gonna be able to build a strong relationship with each other um, if we can't be honest with each other and um, if we don't feel like we're getting the real person. You know, if we've got these facades that we're putting up in front of each other all the time, that kind of relationship isn't very deep and it's not gonna last. So I want that, I want those same kind of experiences with
0: uh, God and the Bible characters. Yeah. Yeah. But I've, about, it must be 10 or 15 years ago now, um, I decided to try and experiment and and uh, hired five video teams in five different cities around America. And and uh, on the same day, I asked them to go out on in a public place, stop people and simply ask them to describe Jesus to them. And then they sent me all the raw footage back. I wanted to see what what people just in the spur of the moment, how they would describe Jesus. And I wanted to see if there was common threads all over the country. And wow, were there the, I started watching the raw footage of these interviews and one word one phrase kept popping up they either said it, uh, it either it was the first words out of their mouth or the, the second words out of their mouth so they were asked to simply describe jesus to me and almost everyone said something like he's a very nice guy he's a very nice guy and it struck me because that is not the authentic version of jesus That is the, you know, storybook, the children's storybook uh, vision of Jesus, that he's a nice guy in the way that they meant it. I I would say Jesus was always kind, but he was uh, only sporadically nice (laughs) because kindness isn't always nice. Um, So, but it struck me so much that, that the version of Jesus that people had gotten just through their disparate growing up experiences painted for them a picture of an inauthentic Jesus you can't read very far in any of the Gospels until you ram into a not so nice Jesus. Um, and that's an important thing for us, even in our own intimacy with Jesus, to be able to see Jesus as a whole person and, and in all of his authenticity allows us to have greater intimacy with him. And, and, and on our part, this authenticity means that we bring our whole self into this relationship. And we tend to do that, as you just said, Jeff, when, when we sense the other person's being authentic with us too, we bring our whole self into that relationship. Then, so a couple of questions here before we dive into a Jesus story from eyewitness: If authenticity then means that you're bringing your whole self into the relationship, then I think we're all at a deficit because we're scared to bring our whole self into most relationships. It's scary. As you reimagine these Bible stories, um, what what kinds of things were important to you? to make sure you were conveying the whole self of these people and and why? What what kinds of choices were you making to try to spotlight the whole self of these people? And and why were you making those choices?
1: Well, there are two things, um, honesty and accuracy. So the first thing, uh, well, not not honesty, uh, um, emotions and accuracy, sorry. Oh, that's good. Um, Emotion was a huge part of it. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the Abraham story we adding emotion into that story was kind of an easy thing because you knew he must have been agonizing over this thing although the bible doesn't specifically say that but um, throughout these stories that was what we tapped into um, for every single one was we we tried to identify a very specific emotion that that person uh, was experiencing Mm -hmm. so for eve the emotion of regret was huge in her life because she did something that she spent the whole rest of her life regretting. And you know, so what does it feel like to, to, to grieve like that, to feel regret, we've all felt it, but you know, what, how, to, how did Eve experience that? Um, so every single one of these characters, we dove deep in the emotion. And I think that's part of the authentic experience is if we're being honest and, and truthful with other people um, our emotions are something that are always there, the good and the bad, and so that was that was one of the main things. And the other thing was the accuracy of it. Just to, if it's going to be real and authentic, I want it to portray what you know what the biblical account was. Yeah. Um, so many stories we've, like I've said earlier, not just sanitized, but but cleaned up to make them night nice, these nice little packages of stories that we can. Uh, share with others in a real easy way and make them memorable or whatever. But we leave out a lot of the details. And sometimes those details don't make any sense to us. That's where the complicated part comes in. Um, where God or somebody did something, and they, what in the world? And we, you know, And it's okay to grapple with those things. I don't think we have to necessarily always understand every single detail, but that does make the stories, I think, more real because that's what happens in real life. In our in our daily life, we experience things that kind of make us scratch our heads, and we don't understand, and we're not sure where that came from or where it's going. And um, I'm, I imagined, as as I wrote these stories, that that's the same kind of stuff that these
0: characters were experiencing when they went through their stories. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's interesting too that that these these things that we're talking about right now the 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 emotion, the accuracy. The, the accuracy is really about paying better attention to what, actually, what what is actually going on in the story. I call these, these kinds of stories mud puddles because adults jump over them and children wallow in them. And that's why Jesus asked us to become like children again, so that we wouldn't jump over the important edgy, edgy details of what is actually happening in these stories. We jump over a lot of these stories because, uh, like you just said, we don't understand them initially. So we, we do a, a kind of a mental gymnastic in our head. We kind of say, well, that's Jesus for you. I don't understand that, but uh, that's Jesus for you. And we just kind of jump over it instead of dive into it and really explore the, the authentic core of what's going on. And it's through that authentic core that we really come to know him. The, the, harder, the harder to stomach stories of Jesus are my favorite ones, mm-hmm. where he says and does things that I just on the surface don't like or don't understand. Those are my favorite ones because he's, he's sort of offering uh, a portal into the depth of his heart when he does that. I, um, uh, I heard uh, from one of the early readers of Eyewitness, one of the people that got an early copy of it so that they could comment on it. And prior to its release, one of those early re- readers was a woman who said this about reading um, uh, Eyewitness. She said, I read the first section and I just bawled very, very powerful. You understand the language of the prodigal. You understand the language of the prodigal. What do you think she meant by that?
1: One of the biggest or at least most important um, exercises that I did in writing this book was practicing empathy. And empathy is the ability to see the world through someone else's eyes to experience what they're experiencing to understand their point of view and so every single one of these characters has a unique uh, point of view in the world unique experiences that they're going through and in order to understand that you've got to practice empathy and I have a personal belief that empathy is one of the most important virtues that we can practice um, in this current day and age I think we've gotten to the point in so much of society and culture that we just pick a side and don't take the time to understand where somebody else is coming from, or why they think the way they do, or why they um, uh, feel the way they do. And so this this prodigal understanding the prodigal, for example, like you mentioned, um, every person has a story to tell, and that's why why it's so important for us not to jump to conclusions or not to be judgmental about folks when they do something that surprises us or upsets us because. They have a story. There's something that they're going through in their lives that are causing them to go in that direction. And so a prodigal, for example, is going to, they've got a story. There's reasons that they ran off. They were probably hurt or they probably had some dream that they're pursuing or whatever it is. But until you get to know them and hear their story and really practice empathy with that person you're not gonna understand who they are, why they're doing what they're doing, or how they can be healed, or how they can achieve something different in the future. So that's why I think, not just Prodigal, but any of these stories are so important to, um, to, to look at from, a, um, from that personal individual perspective and practice empathy, because that's where we start to see some real growth and understanding
0: yeah. um, is through that. Good. Well, that's a great lead-in to um, reading a story from Eyewitness. So I'm going to have you do that, um, Jeff. You're gonna, I'm going to have Jeff read the story of Peter's experience um, of his relationship with Jesus. In, the, in the Eyewitness, this story is called Rock the Walk. And if you remember what Jeff said at the beginning, these stories are all told first person. So this, this version of Jesus is told through the eyes of Peter, who was his closest friend uh, on earth and who was given the, the, the keys to the church, you could say, at the end, for Jesus ascended to the Father. Uh, Jesus entrusted a lot to this man. And, and Peter is a, Peter himself is a complicated person. He is uh, We tend to like to slot the disciples into their little slots, you know, uh, like Thomas is doubting Thomas, for instance, when actually I find Thomas's doubts quite refreshing. So, but we, we talk about him negatively. We like to slot people, um, including the disciples. And Peter's been slotted a lot as the guy that's kind of an oaf, you know, he, he, uh, he's always screwing up. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. It couldn't be more further from the truth. I think in experiencing what Peter was actually like, he was a commercial fisherman in a time when most people did not own their bus- their own business, <laughs> they were mostly slaves. So Peter had a lot going for him, um, and and a lot that sort of uh, sort sort of belies the popular notions of him. So I thought this would be a good one to choose for you to read the the experience Jesus had, the, the experience Peter had of coming to know Jesus. So could you read for us "Rock the Walk," and then we'll talk about authenticity in this story. So as you listen, podcast listeners, I want you to. Uh, make a note when you hear something that feels authentic to you, either from Jesus or from Peter. I want you to notice what you notice about authenticity in this story. Go for it, Jeff.
1: Thanks, Rick. And I'll just mention real quickly that the, um, this story was taken from uh, various passages in the Gospels, uh, from Mar- Matthew 4, 14, 16, and 26, as well as stories in John chapter 6. So that's where um, the first time I saw him, he called out the most bizarre thing to me. I can show you how to fish for people. I was out in a boat with my brother just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Andrew and I were dragging our nets through the water like we did every day when a stranger called out from the beach. My brother and I looked at each other. Fish for, fish for people? Did we hear that right? We stared at the man for a moment He didn't look too crazy. Uh, The man waved his arms, practically bouncing with excitement like he couldn't wait to show us something. Fishing suddenly seemed boring. Andrew and I waded ashore, dropped our nets and introduced ourselves. My name's Jesus, he said with an impossibly cheerful grin. You don't look like a fisherman, I said, hoping he'd explained his, his strange comments. I'm a carpenter, Jesus said, well, was. I've got a new job now. I'm on a mission to save the world and I could use a few guys to help me. You with me? Turned out that fishing for people was one of the least outlandish things Jesus had to say. Soon there were 12 of us and we followed Jesus everywhere. He was bold, even fiery in the way he talked. He told stories that left us thinking for days. He opened our minds to truths that left us speechless. And then there were the miracles. Jesus did things you can't even imagine. He healed people curing dreadful diseases, he straightened deformed legs, gave sight to blind eyes, he even made the dead breathe again. (laughs) Wow, his love for people was electric. He made every man, woman, and child he met feel special. Folks couldn't help smiling, no, no beaming, when Jesus was around. I started to understand what he meant by fish for people. He had us all hooked. I wanted to be more like him, And one night I got my chance. It had been a big day. Somehow Jesus had fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. As the crowd headed home, he sent the 12 of us on a boat to the far side of the lake while he hiked up into the hills for some time alone. But we didn't make it to the other shore. I thought a nice quiet boat ride would be the perfect chance to rest after such an exhausting afternoon, but it wasn't long before the wind picked up and the weather turned nasty. It was as if the sky and the lake were battling over who could make our boat sink first. Sometime after midnight, we saw something, or someone, out on the water. A ghost? At least that's what we thought, until it spoke. It's me, called a familiar voice. Don't be scared. It was Jesus walking on the water, not swimming, not floating, walking on the roiling surface of the lake. I gripped the edge of the boat, eager to jump in myself. Jesus, is that really you? I shouted. Jesus waved me over. Come here and find out. I didn't hesitate. I jumped over the side and landed on top of the water. I stretched out my arms to keep my balance as waves swayed beneath me. One slow, easy step, and then another, and then another. I I was doing it. But questions flooded my head. How is this possible? What if this is a trick? Is this really happening? Is Jesus for real? What if I'm wrong? What if I drown? I sank like a rock. Jesus, help, I cried. I felt Jesus' strong hands grab my arm and pull me up. Peter, what happened to your faith? Jesus said. You could have drowned in your doubts. I stared at Jesus. There wasn't a hint of uncertainty on his face. This man could do extraordinary things, and... The most remarkable thing of all was that he'd never let me down. Fisher of men, indeed. Well, for three years, I followed Jesus, watching him flow through people's hearts in one surprising way after another. He questioned them, challenged them, shocked them, sometimes ticked them off, but he never stopped loving them. One day, Jesus asked the 12 of us, who do people think I am? What are they saying? The other disciples told him what we'd been hearing. Uh, They say you must be a prophet, maybe one who's come back from the dead, like John the Baptist or Elijah, Jeremiah, perhaps. Jesus scratched his chin thinking, who do you think I am? He asked. I may have had my doubts before, but not now. You're the Messiah, I burst, blurted out. You're God's son. Jesus' face lit up. You've been hearing God's voice. Clearly your faith is as solid as stone. From now on, I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. You're the foundation I'm going to build my church on, a foundation so solid even the powers of evil won't stand a chance against it. And I'm giving you the keys to my whole kingdom. Whatever you lock or unlock here on earth will be locked or unlocked in heaven too. The rock, I like the sound of that. But I didn't like some of the new things Jesus started talking about, specifically death, his death. He kept telling us that it wouldn't be long before he'd be tortured and killed. So I I scolded Jesus. Stop saying horrible things like that. God would never let that happen to you. Well, Jesus scolded me right back. Peter, shut your mouth. Thinking like that is a devilish trap. God knows what he's doing. Jesus kept saying things that were, frankly, disturbing. He talked about people drinking his blood and eating his flesh like they were wine and bread. Talk like that turned off a lot of his followers. His crowds grew smaller and smaller. and I couldn't blame Jesus for wondering if we, his original 12, would stick around too. Are you leaving too, Jesus asked. He looked worn and weary. Where else would we go, I said. You're the only one who makes life worth living. You're the one God sent to us. We're your true believers and we're not going anywhere. Well, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Sure enough, dark days stormed into our lives, just like Jesus said they would. It started one night after we celebrated Passover with Jesus. During a walk to the Mount of Olives, Jesus' mood took a somber turn. This is it, Jesus said. This is the night. You've all turned your backs, you'll all turn your backs on me, like sheep running off in all directions. But you can find me in Galilee after I come back from the dead. Those gloomy expressions again. I was worried about Jesus, but there was no way, no possible way I'd ever turn my back on him. Don't worry, Jesus, I reassured him. You can count on me. Even if everyone else runs away, I'll never leave your side. Jesus shook his head. Yes, Peter, you will. You'll act like you've never even met me. Three times before the rooster crows in the morning. No way, no way. I'm the rock, remember? I'd rather die, I said. But as always, Jesus was right. When the mob showed up brandishing rage and weapons, we scattered like rabbits. They arrested Jesus and took him to the high priest. I followed from a safe distance, watching and worrying. I thought I could blend in with the crowd and observe from afar, but it wasn't far enough. You were one of Jesus' followers, the servant girl called out, pointing at me. I frowned and folded my arms. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, I said aloud. I shuffled away as quickly as I could. Another servant girl saw me standing by the gate. I saw you with Jesus, she said more loudly than I found comfortable. Jesus who? I struggled. I I, I don't know him. But the crowd wouldn't believe me. You must be one of Jesus' friends. You've got a Galilean accent, just like he does, they said to me. They had me cornered. No, I swear, I'm telling the truth. I don't know Jesus, I shouted. And then I heard a rooster crow. The sound hit me like a punch in the gut. I'd done exactly the thing I swore, I'd sworn I would never, ever do. I ran off into the shadows like a coward
0: and wept. This time, the rock sank. So good. I I feel like it, it kind of puts you right there and um everything we talked about leading up to that story about just the the raw edges not being uh, shaved off and honesty and the accuracy and there's some there's some fascinating things along here. I asked everyone listening to that to make note when they felt or heard something authentic. So let's ask the question what stands out to us as authentic in this account and why is it why do we experience it as authentic? I thought, one, one place that, um, that I really, it really stuck out to me was in the portion of the story there when Jesus has invited Peter out onto the stormy water from the boat. Let me just go back over this again, because this is uh, one of the parts that stuck out to me as, as authentic. So Peter is saying it's, it was Jesus walking on the water, not swimming, not floating, walking on the roiling surface of the lake. I gripped the edge of the boat, eager to jump in myself. Jesus, is that really you? I shouted. And Jesus waved me over. Come here and find out. <laughs> I love that. Come here and find out. And I think that that's symbolic of something you've done with this story too, Jeff, that I think is really, really important. The reason I think that's, that sticks out to me as authentic is when Jesus says those words, you imagine a Jesus smiling. Smirking even a little bit, a Jesus who's willing to uh, poke at and uh, and and kind of provoke <laughs> in it yeah. in the kind of way that close friends do when they're just having fun with each other. And when, so when he says, "Come here and find out," it's such a familiar thing to say instead of a religious thing to say, because I think so much of this dialogue when we read it because of how ancient it is and what and how storytelling was practiced from the earliest age. So much of what what gets lost in this translation is the emotion behind the person. And so as Christian people, we almost always assume the emotion is stern or super serious or super intense behind all these things that Jesus says and does. But I loved what you did there in in kind of recontextualizing what this encounter might have been like, where... Uh, if we put ourselves in his shoes, like this is at night too. So everything's dangerous about this encounter because it's a stormy sea. It's a, it's a death sentence to just jump over the side of a boat in a stormy sea at night. Um, And and yet Peter does it. And he does it because Jesus playfully says in, in your version of this, come here and find out. And it makes sense. You know, that, that, that why would Peter jump over the side of the boat? Why would he try this? Yes, we always say, well, it's Jesus, um, and Peter was impetuous. But actually, I think you've captured in this the reason why Peter stepped over the side of the boat, because Jesus said it playfully. He wasn't super serious, super intense about it. He said it in a kind of a playful way, which when somebody does that, it immediately communicates to you, there's not as much danger here as you think, that that what I'm asking you to do, it's going to be okay because I can be lighthearted about it. I think that's a more authentic Jesus, um, that he often invited people like Peter and others into extraordinary things with a playful attitude, not a super over-intense attitude, because that in turn would lower their defenses and their fears over what he was inviting them into. So I, I think the kind of the playful tone that you uh, recontextualized through some of this really helps to understand the behavior of of even uh, of the disciples. Why did they do some of this crazy stuff that he asked them to do? Well, maybe um, their encounters with Jesus were a lot more lighthearted than we realize. Is there something that stands out for you in this in this story, Jeff, that strikes you as particularly authentic?
1: Uh, yeah it, um, I love what you just how you describe Jesus, and that 's one of the things that I um, find really more fascinating about him is you know you just about any movie we watch of that has Jesus in it he 's just stoic yeah and i i can't imagine that he was really like that. He had to have been just a dynamic, energetic person. I mean, people were following him everywhere and couldn 't get enough of him. I think that 's because he was a magnet. And it's not just because he was some stoic serious guy spouting off these platitudes. I mean, he was a guy who just, people couldn't resist him. And I think part of that too, though, is, is the, the scary part of Jesus. And that's where, you asked me what part came out to me and that's where the, the part where um, Peter is talking about how disturbed he is about some of the things Jesus is talking about. And Um, you know talking about his death and predict predicting he's going to be tortured and killed and um, telling people that uh, they they're going to drink his blood and eat his food these are things that just really turned people off and even peter was kind of it just made him cringe and you know most of the time i think in in my life in my experience you you go through church and you hear that jesus said things and we just Oh, just, we just ex- accept them, and just you know that's that's the truth, instead of really wrestling with what he's saying. Because some of the things Jesus says are hard. Yeah, they're hard to understand. They're hard to accept. And I think we want the easy, comfortable Jesus that makes us happy, rather than the Jesus that's challenging us, and pushing us, and making us feel uncomfortable. I think that's that's the that's the real Jesus. And so that's the part of me that really stands outward. Peter's struggling, you know, he's not just this, you know, Moses-like hero who's full of um, all the right things and, you know, doesn't, you know, he had this little failure with the rooster or whatever, but, you know, he's just this mighty man of God. No, he was a guy that, that really was bothered a lot of the time by things that Jesus said. And I think that's okay for us too, you know, and, and we don't have to necessarily understand them or whatever, but we should be made uncomfortable by some of the things that Jesus says.
0: And you think about this too, I think about this a lot, that uh, I, uh, I sometimes do an inventory of the people in my life who've really had a profound influential impo- impact on my life, have changed the trajectory of my life. All of those people, they're, they're so different and diverse, all of them, but they, uh, when I think about them, they have a common thread and that all of them have a kind of danger to them. Hmm. And maybe another way of saying that is, they're, they're the most secure people that I've known in my life. So they're, they're secure in who they are. So they're not posing or performing or trying to please. And when you have a person like that, they're kind of dangerous because they might just say or do something that is hard for you to hear or hard for them to respond to you. I remember things that some of these people have said to me for years, for decades, because there was something about it that was disconnected from safety, <laughs> that they they said or did something that was upending, and so you're 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 simultaneously drawn in a kind of a magnetic way to them, and you also know as you're drawn to them, like uh, C.S. Lewis described Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, that he's not a safe lion, and I, I think that Lewis understood this this mix, this stew that is in the heart of Jesus, that is so magnetic to us. Yes, he's impossibly kind. And he's, he's kind when it's, when it's uh, an offense to be kind. Um, and he's impossibly hard um, and isn't a, offensive in that way. Either way you cut it, he is an upending person. And there is something about that that we miss when the accounts about him aren't really authentic. Um, we have to have, as you said, the emotion and the accuracy behind, uh, underlying these stories in order to experience Jesus as he really is and to experience that magnetic draw that that he's both dangerous and at the same time drawing uh, of us. So I love that, that aspect of what you picked out there. What do you think? Um, what do you think? This is kind of a this is a uh, swing for the fences question. What do you think? <laughs> enables jesus to be authentically himself and why what do you think enables him to be authentic wow
1: okay that's a good question (laughs) but the my my um first impression my gut answer to that is is the emotional part of it Hmm. that jesus feels and so often we forget that or, or, or we have such a very specific narrow view of what, um, emotions Jesus is offering or feels himself. You know, most people read the, read the Bible to find comfort and they want to just find some words to make them feel better in the moment. And that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Um, but that's just one emotion out of dozens, um, that we could be feeling and, and that we could be expecting from Jesus. And so I think that's one of the things that if we're willing to allow Jesus to have those emotions and to experience those emotions with us, that's something that's going to make him feel more real to us. And I think when we have an honest um, reading of the Bible, of scripture, and really take a hard look at what's actually happening in stories and how Jesus is responding, honestly, you know, and this is a guy, me, who— as i've read the bible my whole life i studied the bible in college I and mean, it's just been a part of my life i came to this book um surprised more often than not i mean i had to like reread sections of scripture like wait a minute what since when did jesus get so mad in this section like the the story of lazarus for example when jesus raises lazarus from the dead you know we we read jesus weeps you know it's the famous verse where jesus cries the 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 primary emotion Jesus is feeling throughout that story is anger. He's so mad at everybody for not believing him and believing that he's going to do something miraculous and that God has special things in store. Jesus is just mad over and over again throughout that story. The Bible tells us that Jesus was just spitting mad. (laughs) And so anyway, to answer your question there, I think that's the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not that he's like that all the time, but here's this moment where he's just having a gut reaction to what's going on around him and he's, and he's reacting to it. And that's the kind of Jesus, I think that people really want in their lives is somebody who's going to respond, who's going to feel and understand what I'm feeling. Uh, that's, that's the authentic Jesus.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that if you've grown up in the church, you, you probably know this inside out already, that there is a, a general churchwide suspicion of feelings that oh you're not supposed to follow your feelings your the faith the faith the faith is really like a a train and and feelings are the caboose you know that it's not the engine or the coal car it's the caboose in fact there's a there's a diagram that diagrams that train that was used to train a lot of people and here's how you're supposed to think as a as a disciple of Jesus that feelings can never be at the front of the train and yet Jesus wasn't that way Jesus often put his feelings at the front of the train. The feelings in that sense are also the open portal into his heart. If you discount feelings because you think they're unpredictable and unreliable, then you, you won't understand Jesus. Even the story you just told about Lazarus, the the portal into understanding his heart there is to try to understand his emotions, his feelings in that moment. If we don't understand why he was mad, then we don't understand his heart in the moment. So We've done a disservice to people by relegating feelings to the back of the train instead of the front of the train.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. My kids make fun of me because I'm a crier when it comes to movies. You know, if, if I'm watching Field of Dreams or whatever, Inside Out, that's the one movie that just, I mean, buckets. And so I'll tear up in these movies at the end, especially in the emotional parts. And my kids are like, that's just a movie, Dad. Why are you crying? But it's because it spoke to me, it meant something to me, and it's helping to shape uh, meaning in my own life. And there's no reason why scripture can't do the same thing for us in our experience with Jesus can elicit those same kind of emotions. That means for me, it's deeper and it's more real. It's authentic.
0: Yeah. And, and you can see even in this story that as Jesus is authentic and real, he draws that out of others as well. Like yeah, even the, exactly. the reference back to Thomas, the doubting Thomas. So Jesus is real with Thomas in the, in these encounters when Thomas is doubting him. He's very real with him. And that encourages Thomas to be real back with him. Um, and um, I, I think that is hmm. just so true. the The more we understand the authenticity of Jesus, the realness of him, it draws out from us a desire to be more authentic and real as well. He's sort of guiding us by showing us a model of what it is to be fully human. And we forget sometimes that yes, Jesus is fully God, but he was also fully human. And he was trying to recalibrate for us what it means to be fully human. And by uh, putting his own feelings out there at the, at the front of the train, he's really drawing us out as he did in this story with Peter and the other disciples. You, you know, You always wonder, why did Peter leave behind his whole business and just start following this, itinerant rabbi why that's the craziest thing when you've worked your whole life to build up this business and you just leave it to follow this guy there must have been some magnetic emotional connection that peter had with jesus in that moment there was something emotionally about jesus i think that just captured peter he couldn't stop thinking about the possibilities that following this guy might lead to I wonder, uh, Jeff, as we kind of close off here, um, if you could think about in what ways has your relationship over the years, um, you've already mentioned, you grew up in the church, you went to a Bible school, all of these things, um, in what ways has you, as your relationship with Jesus has gotten closer, has it drawn out your authentic self? Um, how has your relationship with Jesus actually enabled you to be more your authentic you? Can you think of an example of that? Wow, man, you're getting deep. <laughs> We're going <gonna laughs> off in the, the deep end of the
1: pool. Yeah. We wallow. Uh, no, but I, honestly, actually, that's, that's a good point about as far as my experience and why it's uh, become more important to me is when I was younger, <laughs> when I say younger, I, I mean even in my 20s and 30s, um, so much of my experience with the Bible and with Jesus was was it wasn't it wasn't artificial i mean it was real but it just felt like um i was living in a in a in a theater and go and and performing and doing going through the motions and following something that i would thought i was supposed to be and reading off a script you know and so you read scripture and think okay now i have to mimic this you know it's I'm here. Here's what I've been told. And now I got to apply it and do it. And um, it just didn't work for me in the long run to do it that way, because it just, I I could tell that it wasn't real and there wasn't depth to that. It wasn't until, um, and that's not to say that was all that time was, (laughs) wasn't worth it or I wasn't growing or anything like that, but it was only in recent years where I feel like um, if I can, um, dig into the honesty of scripture and go ahead and wrestle with the tough parts and be comfortable with things I can't answer and um, kind of go to that level of things and allow uh, the truth to just sit there sometimes, even though I may not understand it. Those are the things in my life that started to make me feel like, okay, this is, this is more real for me because um, I'm not just... Blindly accepting things I don't understand. I'm going to admit that I don't understand them and I'm going to keep wrestling with them. And then I'm going to let my faith take over in those instances where things don't quite make sense. And so for me, that's where, that's one thing where I feel like, okay, the real Jesus is starting to come through because as we see in scripture, that's the same thing that happened with the, even as closest friends as disciples. They didn't always understand or agree with what he was saying and they wrestled with it. And then the other big thing, and I'll finish with this, is that um, it's the practice part of it, uh, where Jesus really does tell us to love others. And the, the one verse that has spoken to me the most the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, has been, you know, the, the, where, where Jesus is asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love God. And then there's a second that's equally as important, and that's to love others. And that has just stabbed me in the heart um, more often than anything else. And when the most the the times where I feel Jesus is most real, is where I'm striving the hardest to to find out what it really means to love other people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and to love and and when I say love other people, I mean where they actually feel loved. Mm-hmm. You know, not all this nonsense where we well I'm going to love you in the name of Jesus and I'm going to tell you how to live your life. I mean, none <laughs> of that nonsense. It's like genuinely loving people and making them feel loved. Yeah. uh, That to me is where Jesus
0: becomes the most real in my life. Yeah. I love that. I I love, that's a great, that's a great way to end this too. That, you know, I, when you think about this, another thing we don't take very seriously is when Jesus told us repeatedly that when he leaves, we are going to become his extensions in the world. We call this the body of Christ, but he meant this. He, He was not fooling around here. He said, I'm going to dole out my spirit to all of you and I'm going to live inside of you. And then I expect you collectively to live out who I am in the world. We can't do this without each other. And the the way in which we live authentically with each other is the way in which we introduce others to the authentic Jesus as well. Mm. And when people feel authentically loved, they're, they're bowled over by it that they, they can't believe it. Um, and they're then experiencing the same things that these disciples experienced when they felt the love of Jesus themselves. They're experiencing the same upending feelings they felt when that happens. I have a friend named Jeff Shelty who's a, a consultant and a counselor and a former mega church pastor who fell in disgrace and clawed his way back through um, a lot of um, soul searching and honesty about himself. And now he has a lot to give to others. And he, he says that I love this phrase that he uses. He says, we need corrective relational experiences with each other that correct some of the trauma and the results of the trauma that we've experienced in life. So a corrective relational experience could be someone um, really leaning in when you're at your ugliest. Instead of repelling, they lean in and it starts to break down the narrative that we've had in our life that I can't show myself because people leave when I do that. Instead, we experience someone who's leaning in, who's more interested, who's more magnetically drawn when we start to show our flaws. Um, and I, I think when when people do this, they are living out the body of Christ. Thus, they are we, they're helping us to experience the presence of Jesus in our life and correcting some of the ways that are keeping us from more intimate relationship with others. So um, one way to think about this as we c- close off here, well, how, uh, how do I then uh, let, let, give more freedom to the authenticity of myself? Of course, this is going to be risky. It, it takes risk. And I think the portal is something you've mentioned over and over again, Jeff. The portal is really honesty. Um, are, are we headed toward greater and greater honesty or less and less honesty in our life? nobody is fully there, but it matters what path we're on, which direction on the path we're going. And if each day um, we find ourselves or can respect ourselves that we have moved another step down the path toward greater honesty with ourselves and with others, then um, I think what we can say is we'll also simultaneously be uh, more and more open to the realness of Jesus in our life and to live that out with others in our life. So so maybe the step that you could take today that you're listening to this podcast is be a little more honest with yourself and with others every day, even if it's only a micron head in the right direction. <laughs> he doesn't expect perfection, but he does care about what direction we're going. So uh, be a little more honest with yourself and with others every single day. And maybe just maybe we'll find ourselves in the shoes of Peter. And uh, 10 others of the disciples who found Jesus to be so authentic, so magnetic, that they were willing to give up their lives for him. They didn't give up their lives because it was a big should, that they're, I'm a disciple, I'm supposed to. They gave up their lives because they had never met anyone as authentic as Jesus was. And their experience of him overwhelmed them, captured them, hooked them, uh, to go back to your, the story you read. Where Peter got hooked, we've gotten hooked as well uh, because we've experienced him authentically. That's what we want in the end is a bunch of hooked people because a bunch of hooked people will, it turns out, change the world. Those 11 guys who got hooked did. And the only one that didn't uh, end up getting executed was John and he maybe had a worse fate. He he was stuck in prison to the end of his life. So all of them did this not because it made him happy, but because they couldn't do anything else but this. They were so hooked by him. And that hook comes with authenticity. So, Jeff, any any last things you want to say about uh, ha- after having immersed yourself in in authenticity in this project for so long? Any last little word of wisdom or uh, offer of guidance for, for someone who wants to grow in their authenticity? Any Something that you might throw out here at the end?
1: I just... Uh... I I would say after, um, uh, whether you're a person who has been steeped in the Bible and and spiritual things for your whole life, or if this is brand new to you, uh, you can find some authentic, heartfelt, meaningful stuff uh, in the Word, if you just, in God's Word, in the Bible, if you just spend some time with it and and approach it honestly and and let it really, really speak to you. Um, and I, you know, I, and I'll just be a little self-serving here and that, uh, uh, if, if the Bible feels a little intimidating to you, um, I would encourage you to check out eyewitness. Uh, it's a good place to start to get into the Bible to see how, how real these stories can be. And, uh, the, one of the things we tell people though, with Eyewitness is when you read these stories, always go back to scripture and, uh, read the original account for yourself and uh, and, and you'll probably be surprised at, at how much it speaks to you and how much meaning there is so
0: yeah perfect uh, perfect way to end today by the way i'll just mention this again if you want to get a, a a little bit of a taste of what the book's about go to experience eyewitness.com experience eyewitness.com and it's available on amazon right now so uh can't recommend it highly enough it's an incredible immersive experience you got a slice of it today when Jeff read this one story. The whole book is full of first-person stories like that. So go out and get it. Um, so, gang, thanks again for listening. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. You can check out links to this episode. If you go to PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. Uh, I always say it's the longest Earl in the history of Earl's. Um, PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. You're looking for Season 5, Episode 31. And it's a podcast that's produced by RickLawrence.com, whatever that means. Um, You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes, and we'll talk again next time. Thanks, Jeff, for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Rick.